Welcome back to The Re-Education. This is a monologue-only episode on why it's okay for seculars to tap their feet and hum along the music of Christmas, the holiday season. Um, it may have struck you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, there's a big relationship between this marvelous time of year and living in a one-party state. Uh, nothing makes me think more than at this time of our oldest, humanity's oldest enemy, uh, the authoritarian dictatorship, where you can't go anywhere without listening to the same music, where you can't go anywhere without hearing the name of the great leader and his son, the dear leader, uh, where all broadcasts, <clears throat> all songs, all jokes, all references are, just for that magic few weeks, just exactly like living in fucking North Korea. <laughs> that is, of course, the great Christopher Hitchens speaking in 2007 at a Reason Magazine holiday party where he would go on to recite Tom Lair's anti-Christmas carol. It was a great evening. I was there. And this was a great cause for the great man, Christopher Hitchens, who in most Decembers wrote a column decrying the holiday season as a national lapse into totalitarianism. Let me read an excerpt from his 2005 column on this theme. Quote, On all media and in all newspapers, endless invocations of the same repetitive theme in all public places, from train stations to department stores, an insistent din of identical propaganda and identical music, the collectivization of gaiety and the compulsory infliction of joy, time wasted on foolishness at one's children's schools, vapid ecumenical messages from the president, who has more pressing things to do and who is constitutionally required to avoid any religious endorsements, end quote. Now, I think Hitch is overstating things. He has conflated a commercialized winter solstice holiday with an expression of Christian piety. It is not in the same way that American Hanukkah has strayed so far from its Judean roots, listened to Return of the Maccabees a couple episodes ago. In that light, modern 21st century American Christmas feels more American than it does Christian. And as an American, I gotta admit, there are parts I really, really like about it. And one of those elements that I like the most is that the music, always seems to get me. Now, but before I get into this, I need to acknowledge up front, there's a lot of Christmas schlock. Grandma got run over by a reindeer Walking home from our house Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and Grandpa, we believe Take the song you're listening to right now. Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer by Elmo and Patsy. Who could ever forget them? If this song is on your Christmas playlist, burn your iPhone and take a one-year vow of silence. Elmo and Patsy are easy targets. Novelty songs are almost never good, and Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer is the Pac-Man fever of the holiday season. But it's not just the novelty songs at Christmas that are cringy. Usually the most popular renditions of the Christmas standards are a bland porridge of mush. Let me illustrate this point with Frosty the Snowman. Frosty the Snowman 
was a jolly happy soap With a corncup pipe and a button nose And two eyes made out of coal Frosty the snowman is a fairy tale they say He was made of snow but the children know How he came to life one day That was the Jimmy Durante version of Frosty, arranged for a holiday animated special, and it is about as exciting as listening to a Senate subcommittee hearing on Social Security. I could forgive this if he released it in 1950 when the original came out by Gene Autry, back when most pop music was baby food, but this came out in 1969. I mean, this is like the year of Jimi Hendrix, a year after the White Album. Give me a break. Finally, in this category of, I don't want to call it schlock, but Christmas songs I'm starting off with that I'm not a huge fan of. There is the one song that is almost, it's really too good. It's such an earworm. It's so freaking catchy that it's inescapable every Christmas season these days. And we all know who I am talking about. Me and Mariah go back like babies were pacifiers. Thanks, ODB. Rest in peace. Yes, Mariah Carey. And that's all you're going to get, because this song is everywhere. And even though I acknowledge it's a banger for the ages, I have frankly heard this so many times that all this Jew wants for Christmas is a five-year moratorium on playing that damn song in December. Enough already. Okay, now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's talk about some truly great Christmas music and why seculars, non-Christians, atheists, and others should understand this music as part of the American canon and not an insidious plot to undermine the constitutional separation of church and state. Let's start with the fact that Christmas has inspired a lot of great music. I mean, here is Schubert's gorgeous Ave Maria, inspired by the Virgin Mother of the Christmas Story, the Sistine Chapel of Christmas-inspired music, in my opinion. One can accept the proposition that faith has inspired brilliant feats of creative expression and still choose to live a secular life, to deny the existence of God, or to believe in another faith. It's all okay. Christianity has certainly inspired great artists. And if Schubert was played in a shopping mall or a school assembly, really, I'm okay with it. Now, as we move into the 20th century, we get the modern Christmas canon. The first versions of the classics were okay, usually, but over time, great artists interpreted and reimagined these songs with tremendous success. And what is more American than that? Putting a spin on something old to make it new. This is the essence of innovation, the spirit of jazz, the foundation of hip-hop. Let me illustrate this concept with a non-Christmas song from The Sound of Music. Here's a snippet of My Favorite Things. Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens Brown paper packages tied up with strings These are a few of my favorite things Which, by the way, that's not so terrible. But let's compare it to what John Coltrane and his quartet did to My Favorite Things. Okay, so let's put this now in the context of Christmas. Here's Judy Garland from Meet Me in St. Louis in 1944. This was an enormous movie at the time, star turn for Judy Garland, and I'm sure you will recognize the song. Here it is. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Next year all 
all right, it's fine. In the context of the movie, I guess it works. She has a nice voice. But let's be honest, it's a bit staid. Who puts that on their Christmas party playlist? No one. But let's compare Judy Garland's version to Lou Rawls. A world of difference. I mean, first of all, the arrangement by David Axelrod, the musician, not the Obama spin doctor, it just slaps those horns, that electric guitar. And Rawls is delivering a timeless baritone in the pocket and laid back. This is music to drink fine scotch to. And if you see this record, by the way, it's the cover of it is Lou Rawls with a Santa hat on in a white suit carrying presents to put under a Christmas tree. Just pick it up. I, I don't know how many people actually collect vinyl like I do, but if you see it, it is like wall-to-wall bangers. Okay. Another illustration of my concept of great artists sort of taking, you know, bland Christmas music and really making it great is back to old Frosty the Snowman. As we covered a few minutes ago, the Jimmy Durante version is easy listening garbage, but that is not true of the late Ronnie Spector's version with the fabulous Ronettes. Frosty the Snowman Notice on this version, the locomotive drums, the layers of instruments, the wood blocks, the chimes, the woodwinds, the guitars, the brass, it all comes together to create this distinct wall of sound. And that's the trademark of the producer of this song, Phil Spector. I should say, as an aside, Phil Spector is a classic case of the rule to separate the art from the artist. He died in 2021 in prison after being convicted for the murder of actress and model Lana Clarkson. He was a dangerous abuser known for stealing the royalties of his artists. And yet there's no denying Spectre's immense talents as a musical visionary. And that talent shines through on what I consider the greatest Christmas album of all time. It's called A Christmas Gift for You from Phil Spector. So here's the sociopath in his own words on the final track, a rendition of Silent Night. Hello, this is Phil Spector. It is so difficult at this time to say words that would express my feelings about the album to which you have just listened. An album that has been in the planning for many, many months. Now, in my view, every track, even Bobby's Socks and the Soxers or whatever, they all have these weird, like, early 60s, late 50s names. But every track on A Christmas Gift for You is a classic. But the one that stands out for all time is from the great Darlene Love, sadly the late Darlene Love, and it's the only original song on this record. It's called Christmas Baby Please Come Home. Now, the good news here is that Darlene Love is actually credited on the album as the artist behind this who sings it. 
But that was not always the case because she was black and Spectre wanted to sell records in the early 1960s to whites. She was often uncredited on other hits that she sang for girl groups produced by Phil Spector of that era. So I like to stream the track today as a small act of appreciation for an artist who was slighted in her prime. Beyond that, think about this as a very American version of the Christmas song. It's about missing one's beloved at the end of the calendar year, as opposed to, say, a virgin birth in a manger or some Middle Eastern travelers bringing various kinds of incense to an infant. It's really not a religious song. This gets to another important point about American Christmas music. A lot of it was written by Jews. Take Phil Spector, who I'm not sure my fellow chosen want to claim today, but he was an Ashkenazi American born in the Bronx. So was Mel Torme, who wrote the classic Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. We are listening to the Vince Guaraldi version of it from his Charlie Brown Christmas special. I recommend picking up Vince Guaraldi's Peanuts related projects. They're all really, really good. It's all piano jazz. I love it. Anyway, moving on. White Christmas. Maybe the waspiest song ever made? I'm dreaming of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know Okay, well that came from the pen of Irving Berlin, another Jew. The point is that appreciating American Christmas music is also to celebrate the accomplishments of American Jews, at least. Which, for me, is, you know, it's it doesn't mean that the Jewish Americans who wrote these songs were, you know, like in the time of the Maccabees, the Hellenized sect. I just think it shows that it's, you know, it's an American tradition. We live in America and that culture of American Christmas, a big contributor to that are American Jews who don't celebrate Christmas. I think it's kind of a nice story. Okay, now much of this episode has focused on reimagining the classics, but in the spirit of innovation here also applies to not-so-classic Christmas songs. The mood is right. The spirit's up. We're here tonight. And that's enough. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. All right, that is Paul McCartney, the nicest Beatle. And the song is, uh, it's okay. Nothing special. Maybe even a little annoying. I mean, it's not as annoying as John and Yoko's So This Is Christmas, Let's Abandon Saigon, their big hit from 1975. But not every track can be yesterday or a day in the life. The point here is that almost 30 years later, Jim Jones and Harlem's Dipset crew saw something in Paul McCartney's little ditty worth reworking and rework they did. Living fast and balling at Christmas time. It's gonna be a good Christmas this year. Santa know when you good or bad. <laughs> and we balling. Music's tight. All right, maybe that's not for everyone, but it's my podcast and I appreciate the effort. I've always liked that song. So there you have it. In closing, I want to call attention to the contribution to Christmas music from the Motown label. 
almost all the labels, great artists from Stevie to Marvin to the Temptations to the Jackson 5, they all released Christmas albums and they're all worth checking out. I recommend them. One of my favorite from this oeuvre is this original song. It's co-written by Barry Gordy's sister and Marvin Gaye's wife at the time, Anna Gordy. The artist singing it is the great Stevie Wonder, and I really can't think of a better way to end the episode. So I will see you next week, and here's what Christmas means to me. This has been The Re-Education with Eli Lake, a nebulous production. Please find us wherever you find your podcast. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. It helps other people find the show and makes us feel really good about what we're doing.